0: I came and did a building walkthrough and I was shocked. It was still the old style way of teaching where, you know, you read read the paragraph, you answer the questions and then you get a worksheet. And then if you do that worksheet, guess what, you get another worksheet.
1: Every other Friday, we bring you stories from leaders in school systems all over the US.
0: Our teachers were left to their own devices. The general way of learning was to give them a book. They were on their own time, supposed to go read about best practices and then implement.
1: People who are creatively solving problems and making strategic decisions as they work to hire, retain, support and grow teachers and staff.
0: We didn't have time to wait a year, to wait two years. We had to change then. Once I got started sending my building principals out to see the levels of instruction and high performing districts that are right next to us, it wasn't a hard sell.
1: From superintendents to principals, from human resources to instruction to special education, we're talking with people who have stories to tell in K-12, and we're sharing those conversations here. From Frontline Education, you're listening to Field Trip. My guest today is Dr. Melissa Varley. She's the superintendent of Florham Park School District.
0: We are located in central north New Jersey, about 25 miles outside of New York City. It is a very affluent population. We have very little diversity, but our school buildings are older. The school I'm in right now was built in the 1930s. Our newest school was built in the 1970s.
1: Florham Park has seen some incredibly positive things happen in recent years. Improvements in teaching practice, school culture more focused on growth and leadership, rising student outcomes. But when Melissa arrived at the district, it was a different story. I spoke with her and asked her to tell me what changed and how. As the superintendent of Florham Park or chief school administrator, you were an assistant superintendent at another district in New Jersey, how did you wind up where you are now, and what was it like to get started in your role there?
0: Yes, I was assistant superintendent in another district, which is all, was also very affluent, and the superintendent um, became his wife became ill, so he left, and I was basically the superintendent. And then when he came back, I was used to being the superintendent, so I started applying for superintendents positions, and Florham Park came available. I applied, interviewed, loved the board, loved the administrators that I met, and when they offered me the position, I readily accepted.
1: What were some of the biggest differences between the two districts when you began there?
0: Well, there were huge, huge differences. One thing about the district where I came from, the parents were extremely focused on academics. So they would come to the board meetings. They would schedule meetings with myself. They would schedule meetings with the principals to push us to do better, to make more rigor, to have more AP classes. And if our rankings went down, we would have 50 parents at a board meeting wondering why we didn't have more children in Ivy League, going to Ivy League colleges, why we, our rankings went down, why our AP scores weren't as high, why our Park scores weren't as high. So coming to Florin Park, there's definitely not the same academic focus. And it was different for me to not have parents beating down my doors discussing why their children aren't in geometry in seventh grade. And also the budget, our professional development budget in the district where I was was 150000 And that was without any extras. And I could usually get more money if I asked for it. Here, the budget was $8,000. And I can spend that in one day with one person coming in. So it didn't leave a lot for our teachers to be trained. Our teachers were left to their own devices. From what I can understand, the general way of learning was to give them a book. And they would—they were on their own time, supposed to go read about best practices and then implement.
1: How did all of this play out with the instruction that was offered? Could you observe a visible difference in what teaching looked like between your previous district and Florham Park?
0: Absolutely. When I came, before I'd even started, I was, my contract was signed, but I had not started. I came and did a building walkthrough and I was shocked. It was still the old style way of teaching where, you know, you read the, read the paragraph, you answer the questions and then you get a worksheet. And then if you do that worksheet, guess what? You get another worksheet. And we all know as adults, paperwork is not motivating. And so it can't be motivating for our student population to get one worksheet after another. And they were using an outdated text, um, a basal reader. So I was really shocked. And it's no fault of the teachers. They were never really instructed that when they had gone to college, they learned great teaching methods, but they had never been, their upkeep hadn't been done. And the person in charge wasn't embracing lifelong learning. So when I walked through, I was like, oh, i got big changes to make. I've got a lot of changes to make because I mean, our children weren't motivated to learn because that's not very motivating to get another piece of paper to do some work with.
1: Melissa said that the instruction, or at least the outcomes, weren't what you might expect from a district located in an affluent area like the one they're in. Their test scores were more representative of what you might see in a lower income area
0: socioeconomic status, unfortunately, is usually an indicator of student performance because they have the most resources. If you have more money, you can send your children to preschool. You can have the best tutors. You can provide them with multiple books for reading. And I didn't see that here. Our test scores were of a lower income district, lower socioeconomic, to the point we had 50% being proficient which is unheard of in this level of affluence.
1: So you looked around, you saw these issues, you knew you needed to make changes. What was going through your mind at this point? What did you do? What things really needed to change in your opinion?
0: Well, I always have this great thought that I'm going to follow what research says, that you should come into a district, take a year to assess, and then act. But I didn't feel like I had a year. I realized probably my second month in, that we didn't have phonics instruction in our K-2 program. And phonics, combined with reading and writing workshop project, is the way to teach. You cannot teach reading without using phonics. So I immediately gathered my supervisors together, my principal, and we have got to make a, make a change. There was, there was a phonics program, but no one had been taught how to use the phonics program, so it sat unused. And that was my first order of business is to change that curriculum and bring in phonics. I also, when, one of the things I noticed was inconsistencies where I had been told they were starting to have um, professional development on using Reader's and Writers Workshop. When they had been told they were using it, I was told, we we have professional development. We're spending, you know, we're spending $4,000 on this professional development, which we know in the world of professional development is nothing. And, but I would talk to one second grade teacher and she would say, oh, yes, I remember learning about that. And I would talk to the very next door neighbor second grade teacher and she would say, I've never heard of that. What are you talking about? So. We know that there was extreme inconsistencies, so I started working to bring in an ELA supervisor because I knew, I knew enough about ELA and English Language Arts and Readers and Writers Workshop just to make me dangerous. I needed someone who who could do the work behind the scenes.
1: I asked Melissa if this was all part of a formal plan. Did she codify a plan in writing and bring in her school board and parent-teacher organization?
0: In a formal sense, I... I guess a formal plan, I knew that my writing and reading scores were very low. And writing and reading affects everything. You can't do science and social studies and even math without knowing how to read and write. So I knew that had to be my first order of business. So I started thinking about all the things that you needed. You needed strong professional development. So I knew I had to have more than $8,000 in the budget. I needed someone who would hold the teachers accountable, but also give them the support they needed. And my biggest saying is I needed someone who could out English language arts them. They could give them no excuses. They knew the talk. They knew how to do it. And then I had to develop a professional development plan and get my principals on board and get my PTA. So I started meeting with the PTA monthly with my administrators and started talking about we needed to get more books in the classroom. We needed post-it notes. We needed chart paper and made my principals, all of my principals had to go to every single ounce of PD because how can they judge a teacher on what they're doing if they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And I had one principal who thought the basal reader and the way of instruction was the best way to do things. So I knew I had a huge learning curve. And then I started working with the board, telling them and showing them the difference in our test scores and test scores of students right down the road who had the same demographic and showing them, I need, I need help. I need someone who can focus our teachers and build them and conduct a growth mindset like we they needed to be able to grow and they needed to be shown what good instruction is
1: that's that's more than just an instructional question that sounds like it's an entire culture shift that you saw needed to happen were you the only one who saw this or or did you have conversations with others what did your conversations with others look like around that culture shift
0: i did have one building principal who was also very, she was new. And she was, I can't believe these things are happening in this manner. I had her on my team. And then the business administrator realized that we were not quite where we should be. And I started working with my supervisor of curriculum instruction. And I started pointing him in the, in the areas of professional development and showing him, sending him to different places to see what other districts were doing. And once he caught the fire, he knew we had to change. And we didn't have time to wait a year, to wait two years. We had to change then. And Once I got, started sending my building principals out to see the levels of instruction in high-performing districts that are right next to us, it wasn't a hard sell. They knew we had to make changes. We still had teachers diagramming sentences, which hadn't been done since the 80s. And it was, it was a huge shift. So then within that, we hired our ELA supervisor. And she brought it, she came in with lots, a great deal of knowledge and a lot of fire. She'd come from another affluent district, and she knew exactly what to do. So what we did then is we knew we had to change. We had a culture of don't do more than you're supposed to do. And definitely don't do more than you're supposed to do for free. Like if they're, if the board's going to pay you, we'll do more. But you know, never volunteer for anything. And we decided to develop a teacher leadership cohort. And we took five teachers from each building. And we met with them monthly. And we brought in a professor from Columbia University. She only came in twice during the school year. But we started working on changing mindsets. We started working with them on norms and you know, the ways of knowing and the ways of knowing are basically how do you see yourself and what makes you thrive?
1: That professor is Dr. Ellie Drago Severson. If you're a regular field trip listener, you might remember an episode called The Glasses We All Wear. In that episode, we interviewed Ellie about her work, about these ways of knowing. And you can hear that story on our website.
0: So we worked on that our first year, And then our second year was teaming. And now our third year, which is unheard of in this district, is our teachers will go out and teach their colleagues on things that interest them, things that will increase academic rigor. So we're, we're making, we made a huge amount of changes. And I am seeing so much growth. We've had some teachers who dropped out of the cohort. They couldn't, they couldn't get past doing more than they should. And you know, and that's fine. That is fine for them. But I do have the majority who are still in there and they're still working hard. And my principals have to go. All of my supervisors have to be there. I'm there. I'm present. And, you know, I work with the teachers on a monthly basis.
1: Something you just said struck me when you, when you made a point to say, I'm there, I'm present. Talk to me about that. What does it do for a staff, for a district or building staff to look and see, Our superintendent is here present at this training or in during this time that we're together. What does that do for the entire program or for the entire uh, day?
0: I, I believe it shows that I am committed and I'm holding myself as accountable as I'm holding them. And, you know, one of the projects that we have coming up in our third year is that they have to be mentored by an administrator. And I have opened myself up. I will mentor them. I will work with them on the professional development that they are going to provide. And I, I get a lot of great feedback from these teachers knowing that I'm in there every single meeting. And, you know, I clear my schedule and make sure that I'm available for them.
1: Let's talk about professional development a little bit more. Obviously, more money means more resources, but before you had the extra money, how did you provide the kind of professional development that your teachers needed? How does one provide quality professional learning on a shoestring budget?
0: So uh, obviously, I came into an $8,000 budget, which was very limiting. But I found that I, and when I'd been in my previous district, I had started a professional development academy. And I had extremely knowledgeable supervisors who held professional development. And I did not leave that district on a bad note. So they allowed me to send teachers to them and charge me a minimal fee. And when I mean minimal, I mean minimal. And I had the teachers I sent over there, they came back and taught the other teachers. I do believe one thing, change is hard. And the first, the first statement you usually get from someone is like, oh, they don't have children like we do. Hmm. Well, this is the same, same level of affluence, same level of children in my previous district, And so what I did then is I'm going to send them out to other buildings, other districts, to see what other teachers are doing with the same type of children. And I think that was the biggest effect I had with my $8,000, because they see these teachers are meeting with children one-on-one and learning their strengths and their weaknesses. They are listening to them read. They're watching them write. And I got so much bang for my not spending a buck, just in sending teachers out to other districts to have them observe. And I sent every single teacher in every grade level out to watch other other teachers teach. And of course, I chose districts I knew, and I knew teachers within the district who were strong and who knew Reader's Writers Workshop and who knew how to teach phonics and who loved children.
1: When people came back from seeing what teaching looked like, in other school districts, and they came back to Florham Park, what sort of things did you hear them say?
0: A lot of it was they have more resources than we do, which is not, was not untrue. We did not have classroom libraries. They also said, you know, they have air conditioning, which is not untrue. We do not have air conditioning in my three to eight buildings. But they also said, I can do that. I can pull those kids down. You know, of course, they started with the negative, but they ended up coming around to the positive. I debriefed with every single team after they got back to ask them what differences they saw. And of course, they brought back the things that the other districts have that we didn't at the time. We still don't have air conditioning. It's going to be a while. But um, I asked them, And then they started saying, well, I can pull students and do that. I can, I can work with them individually. I can confer. And you know this, in any change situation, you have some who are the early adopters. And I had that. I would have maybe two per grade level who would be like, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm starting with this. And then I had the others who were like, I'll wait and see. She's, you know, we've never done this before. I like the worksheets. It's easy. But I did. I saw the fire start just with those initial classroom visits before any real professional development had started. We know
1: that collaboration is incredibly important. And you mentioned earlier that your teachers came back and are teaching other teachers. How are you ensuring that that happens? Or how are you promoting a culture in which teachers come back and spread the knowledge that they have around to their colleagues?
0: So while we didn't have a large professional development budget, we did have enough money to hire substitute teachers. So what I would do is in the afternoons or mornings, I would pull teachers for that morning block or afternoon block and let the teacher who went out into the other professional development teach the teachers who were here. With that, I would then flip the subs over into another grade level so that another teacher could teach the other teachers. And My supervisor of curriculum instruction was there throughout the entire thing. I was there for some of it, but I wasn't there for all of it. But I made sure it happened. I definitely made sure it happened.
1: (laughs) Got it. We've been talking about school leadership and district leadership and teachers. Did you have to work to change the mindsets of your students throughout this process?
0: Well, one thing we noticed as I would go in classrooms and I would sit, I would notice that the students weren't used to long periods of learning. The periods were very short. In the middle of the period, they would have a snack, so they didn't have to be used to it. They didn't have to focus for a very long period of time. So I started working with the principals to change their schedules and make it a working snack. And you only get one snack a day. We're not going to snack all day long. So we extended math to 60 minutes, and then we did reading and writing for 120 minutes. And one thing I focused on when I was in the classrooms after that is building the student's capacity for learning. Like they had to be able to be consistent and sit there and making sure the teachers noticed. How many times did Jimmy get up and go to the trash can? How many times did he go back to the bookshelf to stand there and look for a book? Some of them did not notice it until I pointed it out that, that our children didn't have that capacity. So we have definitely, that has been, this has been the past two years of of working with the kids to make sure they can sit and focus and they know they don't have an escape. They can't go to the bathroom three times, you know, one time's enough.
1: As you were bringing about this kind of change, what were the roadblocks that you faced? Did you face any pushback at all, whether from parents or from teachers?
0: I definitely received pushback. I know the saying is, Dr. Varley is the face of change. (laughs) But I, I did receive some pushback. And parents, when I did summer reading last year for the first time, we had 80 parents show up in protest for the summer reading assignments. And again, this is a 180 from the district that I had been in. I would have had parents coming out saying I didn't give them enough books in the other district. So you know and i still had parents say that i'm not going to have my child read read over the summer uh, summer reading ruins my summer and then in the same token with my teachers you know they there was a lot of pushback from a minority it was definitely a minority who were this is isn't going to work this is not the way you teach reading this is too hard and it was not an easy road but it's what's best for kids
1: it's really interesting to hear you talk about despite the fact that these are two very similar communities that they interacted with you in such different ways and it brings the question to mind does a school district influence how a community responds to education or does the community determine how a school district educates
0: that's a that's a definitely a good question i think in this sense I am pushing this community of of parents to realize there's more to be had in the area of education. Do I still have parents who call me and tell me I'm the reason that everyone has failed, that education has failed throughout the world? I do. But the majority of my parents who see me are like, my child has never read so much. My child wants to read every night before they go to bed. And so that minority you know, I'm fine with them being upset with me that I'm making their child read.
1: It sounds like your answer to this pushback or answer to objections is, hey, the proof is in the pudding. You, you look at these results. Are there other things that you have said or are there other strategies that you have aside from simply pointing to results in order to overcome such resistance?
0: So we did a 3D strategic plan last year. I brought in New Jersey School Boards Association, and we talked about the utopia of education and what could we have? Could we make, could we make Florham Park even better? And we worked with our community. I brought in parent, I mean, I invited parents, I invited business leaders, I invited everyone. And we had a really good turnout So I had at that time, I had some parents who probably were not my biggest fans, Who contributed. And they saw that when we did our building goals, we went back to the strategic plan and focused on what our community had said was important. And granted, most of the things that our community found were important were technology that was STEM, STEM STEM-based. And we are focusing on a STEM program going back to our 3D strategic plan and continuing our push in reading, writing, and math. So that was one way to try to get them Involved. I also have superintendent forums. I have about three a year. I have my building principals. They have to have two principals forums a year. And then my supervisors each have parent nights, multiple parent nights. And I can't at six or seven a year.
1: Are there any other stories that come to mind of either some of the high points throughout this entire process or the low points?
0: I would say um, one of my high points happened this past year. I received an email from a teacher asking to meet with me, to meet with a group of teachers. And this is never good. Like, usually people do not want to meet with you over something positive. I was obviously preparing for the conversation and see what, you know, what was going on now. And when they came in, they sat down, and it was 7 of them. And they said, We are so glad you're here. I have been waiting one of the teachers who had been here for years, I have been waiting for you to come here. I have been waiting for an instructional academic focus. I have been waiting to be treated like a professional and to receive the knowledge that I should be receiving. And thank you very much. And I got to tell you, that was a, that was a huge highlight of my career. Having, this is a very well-respected female teacher and everyone sitting around her echoed her thoughts and they think to me from the bottom of their heart that they feel like they are now a competitive, they're a competitive teacher.
1: That's, that's amazing. And, and let's look at ultimately what we're going for here, the results, the classroom impact. What have you seen with, with all the work that you're doing with uh, teacher empowerment, professional development, uh, changing culture, increasing instructional rigor? How have you seen that generate results at Florham Park?
0: So in my first year here, my third grade park scores were at a 50% proficiency rate, which is very, very low. You never, if you make a 50 on a test, you failed the test out of, if it's out of 100. This year, we are scoring 80% proficient in third grade. We, in my other grades, we are up by 20% in the majority of the other grades as well. We have seen a slight increase in our math. And that's probably still double digits, 10%. So it's working. In three years I've been here, three full years, this is the start of my fourth year. It's unheard of to have such growth. And, you know, I've had several people when I first started come up to me and say, you're doing too much at once. There's too much change. They're going to revolt. And I did worry about it. It's one of those things that I sat there and said, you know, I am really pushing them. I'm pushing my principals. I'm pushing my supervisors. My supervisors and principals are pushing the teachers, and the teachers are pushing the students. And I wondered if it would blow up in my face. And I'm happy to say that it has not. It has, I am thrilled with the level of achievement our students have, have done. Like, they've, they've done this. My teachers have done this, my principals and my supervisors. I have a great team. And I'm I'm so impressed with our academic results.
1: It's, it's hard to argue with results like that.
0: Absolutely. Like we have come so far and it's, it's a great thing. It's
1: really interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, we have a great team. To what degree do you think programs impact results? And to what degree do you think people impact results?
0: So I think you can have the best program in the world, but if you have a terrible teacher in that classroom, it's not going to help. The teacher makes the difference. Now the teacher also needs knowledge. They need to know how to teach. They need to know how to connect with children and they need resources. And I will give them anything they need to make an impact on our students.
1: Many leaders in schools across the country are trying to do the exact same thing that you're doing. Some are seeing tremendous success while others may be hitting walls. What have you learned or what would you say to others who are just beginning this work?
0: I would say that you to change a school culture, you can only do it, in my opinion, by three ways, and that's changing your hiring practices. I see a lot of people doing the same thing over and over again. If you don't hire different people, you're not going to get different results. And I also think professional development, but you have to have the right professional development. And then strict accountability. If you're not ready to back up your statements, you know, by writing people up, by making sure your principals and your supervisors aren't in. Cl- I mean, I'm in classrooms; they are in classrooms. May and but they have to know what they're looking for, and so they have to be in the professional development too. It's it has to be a team effort. It can't be one person sitting there to do everything and then not being involved. You have to. There has to be skin in the game, and that's what I would say. You got to put your effort into it. You can't be too good to sit in professional development.
1: The first thing you said just now was you got to hire the right people. How do you hire the right people? How do you know who the right people are for your district?
0: So, and I've made some mistakes. It's definitely, um, definitely not, definitely not without my mistakes, but usually I know what I'm looking for when they walk in the door. And one thing I have instilled in Florham Park is we do demo lessons. If a teacher comes in they can interview, they can say the right words, but I want the proof. And the proof is in the pudding. When you're sitting in front of 20 kids, can you deliver? And will they connect with you? And that is usually where I see the disconnect. Like they say great things in an interview, but once they get in front of those children and they don't have the knowledge to, teach them or to connect with them, then I know they're not the right fit. And sometimes I make mistakes, but I'm not afraid to, to let those people go who I've made mistakes with. One thing I tell my principals is that you are married to someone after the fourth year. And if they have not delivered, and that means being, that means being professional. That means wanting to go to the professional development. That means working with children. It's not just coming in and teaching for seven hours a day. It's how do they connect with the kids? What do they deliver? Are they good for your other teachers?
1: Once you bring who you believe the right people are into your district, what do you do to support them? I mean, we've talked a lot about professional development today, but are you trying to tailor for each individual teacher the kind of professional development based on their own strengths and weaknesses?
0: Well, we do a professional development plan with each teacher and it relates back to the district and the board goals as well as my goals, but then we tailor it to. One of the things we started looking at are the, so if we have Mrs. Jones and you look at her test scores and every child, the majority of children, scored low in comprehension. Well, that means that she does not have the skill to teach comprehension. So then we turn around and try to tailor her professional development on teaching that skill so that we don't have another set of fourth graders who miss out on that skill as well. And we all have weaknesses. I know I'm a proponent of lifelong learning, and hopefully I've not stopped learning yet. So, and I tell them, Every teacher I'm sending to some kind of professional development that targets a weakness, I tell them, I've not learned everything that I need to learn, and I don't feel like any of you have.
1: My last question is this. Obviously, this is not easy work. Teaching isn't easy. Being a principal isn't easy. Being a superintendent certainly isn't easy. What keeps you energized and fired up about the work that you're doing and how do you maintain this level of commitment and momentum and passion about education?
0: I have to say it's it's not really that hard. Just walking through my buildings and seeing eighth graders sitting on a floor together in a circle discussing a book, which would have not happened three years ago, just seeing children running out of a classroom to see me, to show me their books that they're reading and how they've moved up levels. And when I first got here, our BSI population, which is an at-risk population, was huge, over 20%. We're down to 7% now who are at risk. And just seeing that, it keeps me committed. We're not finished. We're still not at the level of our surrounding districts. So we still have a lot of work to do. And I'm committed to seeing it through, to seeing our kids, the students of Florham Park, be right up there with our neighboring districts who score very well.
1: Dr. Melissa Varley is superintendent at Florham Park School District in New Jersey. Melissa, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Hi, oh, You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Did you know that new episodes of Field Trip are released every two weeks? Don't miss a single one. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Field Trip is a podcast from Frontline Education. Frontline's industry-leading software is designed exclusively for K-12 and is built to help school systems recruit, hire, engage, develop, and retain their employees. For more information visit frontlineeducation.com slash podcast For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening and have a great day.